In today's episode, Dave interviews Chris Tallman. Chris plays Hank Thunderman on Nickelodeon's Thundermans and was also a series regular on NBC's Thank God You're Here. Chris was Gary the Klansman on Reno 911 and has played reoccurring characters on the Sarah Silverman program and The Wastelander, and has appeared on Community, Bones, Parks and Recreation, and The Mentalist. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. So you said Joey Heatherton lives Joey there? Joey Heatherton lives there. In, in, the, in the complex that you live in. Yeah, she lives like uh-huh. right next to us. Um, and it has the vibe of, and apparently from, I've spoken, there are a number of older residents who've lived there for like 30 years. The, the vibe of the place is a bell rang at five o'clock and everybody just walked out of their apartments with a cocktail and it was just that hangout. There are four different pools. There's a golf course. I don't golf or any of this stuff, but it's just, it has, like I said, it's like a Hawaiian resort from the 70s. Thing. You must have been so excited to go, to look at them and go, oh, I'm going to live here. Yeah. I'm going to live here. Oh, Where yeah. you go, this is right. This is so fucking right. Because, well, yeah, especially being from Wisconsin, I'm like, right. this is what I thought California was going to be like. <laughs> when I first moved here, I was like, I will be at a porn party within six months. I have never been at a porn party. I've never been close to a porn party. But this was just like, yeah, there's giant tiki's. There is a river, like a artificial man-made river right outside our apartment. We have like a lanai area. Does, does the river have fence around it? Because... That's awesome. No, because how many pools have you seen out here that would be like lovely, but now they have you got to have a, a, a safety a, fence. There a is a fence way. around the pool, but the rivers don't. The waterfalls don't. Waterfalls. Yeah, they're like in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, it's crazy, um, and it's great. The other aspect of it that I love is our kids are, are the nursery school and then their elementary school are right next to across the street so i actually walk my kids and pick them up on foot which is how i went to school that's how i went to school too it's we live the best my mom was the clerk at my grammar school okay and where'd you grow up chicago all right uh in rogers park and uh and i lived out here for a year i lived uh we moved out here in uh, my first grade which is 60 i was six so it was 64, 65. Okay. And then moved back to Chicago. Right. Uh, Kennedy was shot, and my no no association with it. Kennedy well, we'll, my, see, we'll see where the conversation well, yeah. goes. Kennedy was shot, and my grandmother had died the same year. Oh, man. And my mom was just devastated. I mean, she was just devastated. My dad's like, first thing we do, let's up and move to a place <laughs> that isn't near any friends or family. Great. And we lived out here for a year. So we lived down here for a year, and we lived. I lived 1932 South Shenandoah, and I went to the school was called the Shenandoah Street School, Love and that. it was four blocks away. Okay, and you're in first grade, and you walk to school by yourself. Yeah. Oh, by yourself. By myself. That's it. Because when I was that young, I think my dad would walk me to school. I I remember. I I'm pretty sure that I walked to school I by myself. I believe you. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure. And also, Jordy and I, my brother and I, when my mom uh, worked across the street, we lived across the street, we would walk, of course, across the street to school. Right. And when we moved to the bungalow that we lived in Chicago, we lived four blocks away, and we would walk to school. Because I'm sure there are other kids. That's what everybody did. Right. It was like a march. And that's it. I think that that's it. It's a march Mm -hmm. towards school. You join, like, the parade of other school kids. Yes. And nowadays, people are in cars, so there's no real parade of school kids. No, no. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Well, there's now the parade of cars and the weird drop-off and line-up. That's why I like walking them, because I don't have to be part of that. Like, you could get there... 
10 minutes early, but just based off of how that drop-off goes, you could be 15 minutes late. You know what? That's so true. I, and there's so many things that y'all married with children people have that I just don't even think, fucking think about it. Don't worry about it. You're not missing it. I, You're well, not missing I it. I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, my, my girlfriend is 31. I'm 55. I'm nice. also the luckiest person on the planet. And uh, she was her... I, she listens to the podcast, so she's listening to this right now. Um, <laughs> How can I code this? Uh, no, her, I love her very much. Her doctor, uh-huh. she went to the doctor yesterday, and her doctor asked her if she wanted to have kids. And she went, no. And he went, well, why not? I'm like, why not? What kind of question is why not? And would a doctor ask a guy that question? That's a really good question. I would think, I think if the default is probably no, I would say the only reason they would ask everybody that is if they themselves are a family person and they just like the idea of promoting a family. Right. That might be the nice exception to that rule. But it's, I think in general, yes, a woman is expected to have kids. It's interesting because the way that you just put it made it sound like there's two different kinds of personal questions. There's a <laughs> factual personal question, which is you have the equipment to have a baby. Right. And then there's a personal question of do you want to have a baby? Why not? Yeah. Which is a different personal. It is. It is. It's like, how's the equipment? Oh, everything's running well. Period. Mm-hmm. How's the equipment? Everything's running well. Are you going to have a baby? You just went from one part of the personal to the, pardon me, the next part of personal. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, a deeper, more intrusive, like, what's wrong with you that you're not having a kid? Because that's what the question is. Oh, my What's wrong God. with you that you're not having a kid? What's wrong? That's exactly what the question is. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why not? Yeah. Isn't, why not, isn't, leave it <laughs> There's no, you know, it's like, no, I don't want to have a kid. Why not? Like, what the fuck? Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't want to have a kid. Okay. Um, Are but, you dating a person of color? No. Well, why not? Like, what? Right. What a straight, like, it's it's a weird, invasive, what's what's up with your belief system? But there's, uh, not but, and there's also, there's that, like, people ask that those kind of fucking questions all the time. Yeah. Like, if there's a couple that is getting married, the last thing that I would ever think about, because I just officiated a wedding. On Saturday. I saw and, a three-piece suit. Very nice. Oh, my God. Al Weiss, downtown, three-piece suit, 250 bucks. I'm going. I'm not kidding. I've been looking for a tailor. This is a great place. You walk in, and plus you get to go downtown to the Garvin District, yeah. which is like crazy fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. You get to go downtown, and the, the guy walks in. He looks at you. 250 bucks. That's not, I mean, you can't get a, a good jacket for 250 No, bucks. and this guy, like, they go, I know what you want, I know your size, and they'll, they'll fit you. Al Weiss Clothing, Menswear, downtown on Wall Street, I believe. Okay, um, I might ask you to write this down. Uh, yeah, 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 I can't say enough about the guys. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, it's really great. So I went, and the suits are gorgeous. And I like that you picked that lighter gray. Yeah. That to me is like, that's like, I don't know, that's... It's not Cary Grant. It's uh, who's Atticus, who is Atticus Finch? Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's uh, like uh, that. Uh, Gregory Peck. It's Gregory Peck. It's like that yeah. very classic, Gregory like Peck. yeah, yeah, Scout, Scout. You know, does a great Gregory Peck is uh, Colbert. Colbert used to do a great Gregory Peck when we were on main stage together. He'd do a stall and he'd do a smoking the pipe. He fucking did the most awesome Gregory Peck. Plus, he kind of looks like Gregory. He Peck. does. He does. For me, Gregory Peck is all about that the dark hair, the eyes, which he has. Yeah. And then also the shoulders. Like, there's something, like, he is Clark Kent. He's just this big. Plus, he's a fucking mensch. Yeah. Gentleman's Agreement. Have you mm-hmm, seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Great fucking movie. Yeah. Um, didn't he, wasn't he in The Guns of Navarone? 
Yes, he and Niven are the... Or the, where Eagles Dare. One of the, one of the know, two. No, their guns are Navarone. Guns are Navarone. Because then uh, the, what is it, Force 10 from Navarone is, uh, what's his name, Quint from Jaws. Oh, yeah, yeah, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. And then Harrison Ford is in there, too. Robert Shaw. Have you worked with any of the... We're getting off, but that's okay. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Have you worked with any, uh, aside from Joey Heatherton, who you live with, <laughs> my understanding, oh, there's a fucking movie, TV show. There's a story. There's Joey, a Joey Heatherton. Do you want to hear the Joey Heatherton story? I just want to say one thing. About Joey yeah, let, I do want to hear Joey Heatherton. Let's call the story. There's yeah, a couple, but there's a couple things on the table. Joey Heatherton, my brother and I. Here's your personal. <laughs> my brother and I, Playboy magazine. Joey Heatherton. Yeah. Joey Heatherton naked in Playboy. Yeah. Like Britt Eklund naked naked in Playboy. Ursula Andress naked in Playboy. Raquel Welch naked in Playboy. Yeah. And you go, what? What's I can't breathe. Joey Heatherton? Yeah. What did we do to make God so happy that he put this in a magazine? What What thing do we do? And can we keep on doing that thing again? Oh, my God. Oh, and, my gosh. And the section in Playboy where they would have uh, a naked and na- na- uh, Playboy in movies or something. Yes. There were always naked shots of the naked people that you go, oh, what the? Huh? I got to see that one. I got to see that yeah. one. I actually, I guess I don't because I have this awesome pictorial. Oh, yeah. And how do they get those stills? Whose awesome job was it to be like, hold on. Can you raise up your breasts just a little bit? The, the nipple's not quite in the light. Exactly. So, Joey Heatherton's story. Joey Heatherton's story. So, Joey Heatherton is our neighbor. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. Did you? And you see her? Yes. Uh, looks great. Um, sort of short, still blonde hair. Always wears like a button-down white, uh, like, oh, a, like an fuck. Oxford. And a a men's shirt? Well, it's no, it's a ladies, but it's that style, like a man's. Yeah. Man's oh, yeah, style, yeah. But it's the t- one where you want to go, you want to see her wearing just wearing that, mm-hmm. just co- yes. covering the, exactly covering the bikini line, the goodies. Yeah. Uh, and then like black jeans and usually like a black jacket. So it's almost like a uniform, but it's just that's what she wears yeah. all the time. So Joey apparently has an issue uh, where she lives. There's an upstairs and a downstairs, and her upstairs neighbor in the morning makes smoothies. Not crazy, like 5 a.m., like 8 or 9 a.m. Joey doesn't like this. So they have a contentious relationship. One morning, I am walking the kids to school, and I see there's a lot of police cars pulled in. We have a very strange driveway. It's like a giant loop that kind of goes through the entire complex. And so there's a bunch of cops lined up the wrong way. Got it. And so obviously you're kind of like, what's going on? Walk, but you're with your kids, and like we're not going to stop. And I'm not. I don't you know if there's a hand on the ground. I don't want my kids to see that. <laughs> Walk them. So when I get back. I can kind of linger and see what's going on. Joy Heatherton has had it with her neighbor making smoothies in the morning. So her neighbor leaves for work at like you know probably eight thirty or something like that. Joy Heatherton is standing outside her door with a high heeled shoe, which she tries to use. As a weapon. Is it a man or a woman who lives upstairs? It's a woman. Uh-huh. Uh, and tries to sort of like hatchet at her with this high-heeled shoe. Oh, Joey. Yeah. Yeah. So now there's a 50-foot restraining order against Miss Joey Heatherton. And the reason I know the details of the story so well is that in the afternoon, my wife took the kids to the pool and Joey was out there describing the events to, I guess, a, a friend of hers, a guy friend of hers. And so she was like, and I had the shoe, and and there may have been some booze involved. I don't want to... Hmm, really? Yeah. Hmm, really? I mean, there may have been. Morning booze. I mean, well, 
that's the thing. I don't, if, if it's morning booze, it really was night booze that kind of yes can transcend trans transcended the, the sunrise. Yes, exactly. Yes. It wasn't worried about what time it was. No, that, that rum. No, no. Morning booze is usually. You're right. Morning booze is usually evening booze gone morning. I hope so, because otherwise, if you're doing morning booze, that's a whole other thing. I have to tell you, I did do this before you came over here. I was doing the dishes, and I finished a bottle of Tito's yesterday. There was just a little bit of vodka in it, and I finished the bottle of Tito's, and I recycled. So I had the bottle by yeah. the sink, but I didn't want you to walk by and go. I wonder if David's morning boozing it. <laughs> Hey, it's a little wake and bake. That's all that that is. It's just, you know, I appreciate that. Because you know I'd bring it up. I'd wait till we're like 30 minutes in. I was like, hey, so. Um, you want to talk about this? Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine yesterday, uh, a woman that I'm working with, she, she comes over here and she's in the program. Uh, I'm not in the program, obviously. And she said, so I'm, I'm, I'm a director of a show that she's doing. And she said, you know, you'd be a really good sponsor for someone. And even though I'm not in the program, she goes, have you thought about maybe not being an AA, but being a sponsor to someone in AA? Which I don't think is a thing. Right. But again, it's one of those things where you go, well, there's a TV show. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's true. You're, you have a very, you're very charismatic and you bring things out of people, which mm -hmm. I think you want in a sponsor. But boy, what a lot of responsibility. Yeah, because she calls her sponsor, I mean, every fucking day, I guess. I don't know much about it. I don't yeah. know how that works. Well, just think of it this way. Like, let's say somebody's coming over, you're sponsoring somebody, and then you've got that bottle of Tito's. Like, it, add, it would add a whole facet to your life of, do I need to hide this stuff? Right. Am I treating them, am I somehow, like, being uh, insensitive to them by treating them differently? About right. It? Like, holy cow. We go back to the to the idea of what's privacy and what's none of your business. Mm -hmm. You know, at that moment for me to say, you know what, I'm going to be what it is that I'm going to be. And if you have a question of what it is that I'm going to be, that's your issue. That's not my issue. Um, but I, I, I believe that when it comes to, like, she, I have friends who are in the program. And we go out to eat and I drink. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I, I, I drink every day. I drink every day, but usually at night. Okay. And I have a, like I'll have a couple of glasses, of, uh, have a couple of shots of vodka okay. in a glass. Not like, what's going on? Crying. Not a you stein. Know, and, not, not a stein of vodka. Stein of vodka. Yeah. But I do, there's something very civilized about it. Mm -hmm. And me sitting and reading a book and having a glass of vodka. My dad, up until probably recently, every day he and his partner at about five o'clock, it would be like, it was like five o'clock. My dad would have a brandy Manhattan, and Andrew would make himself uh, a Tanqueray gin. I think a, a gin martini. Yeah, every day. That's what they do. Why did he stop? Um, he's getting older. and he? He's uh, so I'm 44, so he's 74, going to be 75 this year. Is he old? Uh, he, in the last couple years, has started to make that <clears throat> hard to see in your parents, that, that physical transition from person to now like his hips are really giving him problems uh -huh, uh -huh. he has parkinson's now god that's a lot that's huge that's, that's huge lot. right there yeah that's huge my dad called me on the phone yesterday and said you know and, I, and he's 82 and he lives you know he he fucking does everything he's in a play he's an actor oh cool at 65 my dad decided he wanted to be an actor i love that 
Yeah, except, you know, up to 65. It's like, really, Dave? Don't you think you're chasing rainbows? You know, like, like, you want to be? And I wasn't anything until I was at Second City. At Second City. Until really? I got to Second City. And part of that, it's like, nah, nah, I don't know. And when, you know what? I can make an apprentice electrician if you want. My dad doesn't talk like that, but in the cartoon of it. I like know. this guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got to Second City. It's like, oh, my boy, who wants tickets? See my boy. But anyway, at 80-something, he called me up yesterday and listening and to be present to him talking to me on the phone. To mm. be, because we went, we, my sister and I went down to visit him in Florida. He and his wife bought a condo there and they're snowbirds. So we went down there and we hung out with my dad and you go, I don't know how much longer this is going to happen. Yeah. I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. Yeah. He's perfectly fine. But it's one of those things where you say, I am going to be mindful of every God damn moment yeah. I'm with that guy. Yeah. And he called me yesterday just to go, I'm just thinking about you. My mom just did that right before I came inside. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. There's uh, no obligation. Just checking in, just saying hi. And what I love about that is then, like, because I knew I wanted to be on time coming in here, so I talked to her for, like, seven minutes. But I know, like, oh, I'll call her when I get home. Like, there's sort of, like... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say we talk necessarily weekly, but it's just sort of we're a part of each other's lives, right. and uh, it's not as though when I was like when I was in my twenties, and I, when I first moved to New York, it would be more of a report. Like we haven't spoken for six weeks. Here's everything that's going oh, so on. you you so I, for me, the, I will go six weeks without calling my mom, without mm-hmm. talking to my mom. I will go four weeks. Probably four weeks. She'll probably call sooner than that. I mean, uh-huh. again, but that's also a kid thing as well. Because we have kids, Got she kind of wants to know, like, how did ballet go? Right. How did Lucy's martial arts, like, that kind of stuff. Does she watch your show? Um, yeah, she does. Uh-huh. She does, which I would not expect any adult who does not have children to do. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't be watching our show if I wasn't. My kids, I don't think, would be watching it because they're just at an age... Apparently, children. I only know this from working on a kids' show. Children make a transition from cartoons and animation into live action around like six or seven. And my older daughter is in that area right now, so she's and just making a transition naturally. Has she ever gone to set? Mm-hmm. They came a lot because our show has a live audience, which is God. amazing. But because the show, in the show, I'm the dad of a family. I was very like worried like am i gonna are they gonna get freaked out that daddy has another family so before we brought them the first time i was just like just want to let you know and i called them like my those are my tv kids that's my tv wife but i love you guys and it was completely maybe because i gave that speech it was completely unnecessary they're like yeah we know dad you love us we get it we want to go meet the kids who are on tv like that's all that's what's exciting for them all right right, and like and now the very strange thing is like i feel like you and i both know from growing up in the midwest like what an crazy thing it is to work in this business and how fun and like and how much of a struggle it is this morning my younger daughter who's uh almost five um said to me like dad when can i be on your tv show (gasps) I know, and I'm just like, there's that thing where you're like, well, as a dad, as her dad, I think to myself, "Ah, there's probably a way I could help her, like, be an extra, or, like, if she just wanted to be in the show, like, as a kid walking by, I could probably somehow facilitate that, but as a person who has struggled so hard, like, is that the worst possible thing you could do for somebody who could... 
if she's interested in it, what, what, because you're not foisting that upon her. Right. And, well, because in the same way, I think, again, because, like, right now, they're interested in, like, she likes ballet. But kids can, are so mercurial. It could be like, yeah. hey, we're going to karate. I don't want to do karate. Like, they just. So what's the problem? The problem is I'm worried about creating nepotism. I'm, oh, I see. I'm worried about say, giving, not, not that I would give her a leg up, because believe me, if you could ever get a leg up in this business, why not? Um, just sort of creating for her like this idea of like, oh yeah, you're just in TV shows, it's fun. Right. You know, like, oh, we go play with our friends, we're on TV. Like, I'm like, I don't know, there's something about it that I'm like, I think my nightmare scenario is we get there, and she's like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And, and as an actor, I'm like, yeah, there's about 200 people here who don't give a shit that you don't feel like doing it right now. Uh, and I think I'm trying to avoid that bizarre got it, got train it, got wreck it, got of it. like, got honey, it. could you just could you just hit your mark for dad? I don't want to. Like, I'm like, would she, but would she really do that? She wouldn't do that. No, would she, I don't think the she older would do that. one might. Okay, the older one is a little. Oh, this is the younger one. This is the younger two one. girls. Two girls. Yeah, uh-huh. but like. At one point, I think also there's a little insider information. This at one point, one of the producers actually asked because they were looking for a kid about her age. Would she be interested in front of her? Uh, yes, in front of her, uh-huh. which is always not good because the older one. So that created a crazy oh. scenario where the older one devastated that she can't be on the TV show, and the little one was excited. But she looked at me and she's like, "Well, Dad, you'll be next to me, right?" And I was like, and the way she described it was. She would be playing a kid, literally just like they needed a little kid to be in a stroller holding a lollipop that one of the other characters could like steal candy from a baby. That was the gag. And I would not be in that scene. And I just sort of knew like I won't be there next. I'll be as close as I can be. But not in the shop. But I won't be the grown up. And she yeah. just immediately grabbed, you know, the way your kid, she's grabbed yeah, my hand. Yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. no, I yeah. want to be with you. Yeah, right, right, like, right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And they're two years apart? 18 months. 18 months apart. We <laughs> it was a little close. It was a little closer than we expected. Uh, you have siblings? I'm the oldest of three. You're the oldest of three. How, how much young? How much older are the, than uh, the it's youngest? two years and two years. Oh, I see. So there's four years. Yeah, total between us. Yeah. Got, got I'm it. four years older than my younger sister. Yeah. Yes. I have a brother who's two years younger and a sister who's 12 years younger. Ooh. And my tw- the sister that is tw- my sister, the sister... My sister, who's 12 years younger, she and I are very close. Oh, cool. We're really close because I was like a surrogate parent yeah. to her. Yeah. Um, I babysat her. I cleaned her diaper. I took her on bike rides. You know, I, I, I had the, the Bjorn. I took her on, you know, they didn't have yeah. Bjorn back there. And but, when you're like around that 12, 13 age, like I, I, at least I remember for me, like you, I was kind of interested in helping little kids and babysitting and kind of being that kind of a person. Right. And then you're not seen as a nemesis, right. which is what I was seen with my brother as a nemesis. I mean, uh, you know, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, it's interesting. My brother and sister and I didn't have that dynamic. We were all super close, but... <clears throat> I was always very aware that we were the bizarre exception to Got the it. rule. Right. We would fight occasionally, but for the most part, we were like hugging and kissing each other, and we were just. How did that? Were you were you, were you raised religious? No, my dad actually is super anti-religious. And then when my mom remarried, my stepfather's uh, family is Catholic, so we had a very strange scenario where we had gone to church. 
because somebody was getting married or something like that. So yes. I knew what church was. Yes. But it wasn't until I was probably like 10 or 11. I remember very distinctly one morning my mom <clears throat> walking into my brother and I room Sunday morning saying, okay, boys, we're going to Sunday school. And I remember being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we don't go to Sunday school. We don't go to church. Um, and it always, it, it, it kind of created this very strange relationship I have with religion. Like I have some friends who are very religious and it works for them and it makes me so happy. That it works for them. That it works for them. Uh -huh. Yeah, I feel like for anyone who is religious that and it works for them, I feel like that's how great to have that as a part of your life. For me, I, I view it as like it was this put on. It was this thing we did to make grandma happy. Right, right. And it's a thing that we did to make grandma happy. It's a thing we did to make grandpa happy. It's a thing we did to make Jesus happy. Mm -hmm. But does it make us happy? And, and I got to tell you, I did, uh, I did ortho, uh, I'm sorry, conservative Hebrew school three days a week when I was in, in addition to school? fourth grade. Yeah. Okay. So after school, after school, during the week, I would sit in a fucking room with 15 other people and learn about this religion, which I, like, what the fuck, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And then I went, I hated it. And then we went the other way to something called Reconstruction, which is a female rabbi, and it was out of a church basement. Like and we that. did, we did, we did the wood carving, mm -hmm. and we did other things like, oh, that's it. And then we went to a different temple in Chicago, which is a gorgeous temple, which is where I was end, ended up being bar mitzvah. And I was there uh, from uh, 14, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I was there for five years okay. on Sundays. I loved it. I went to Hebrew. I went to, um, I was part of the youth group there. I went to, uh, I love to that overnight camp yeah. in Wisconsin, Madison, in uh, Oconomowoc. Oh, sure. Uh, Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute in Oconomowoc. Um, and then I went, I took four years of Hebrew in college. Mm -hmm. But I think Judaism, certainly from what I, my standpoint, my experience, rather, is more of a spiritual thing yeah. than it is about guilt or Jesus or, you know, that, mm. that sort of governor, if you will, on your behavior. Yeah. It is not a governor on your behavior. Yeah. There is no afterlife. Right. So if there is no afterlife, you get to fucking fuck around. And there's right. this thing called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which you don't eat and you go, hey, fuck it. I made some mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Well, I, for me, what I like most about any religion is the that it's a love-based thing, that it's about tenets of how to live your life in terms of brotherhood, sisterhood, let's not stab each other, let's not fuck each other's cattle, let's just try and kind of... But that's what you had. You lived that life without that. Yes, because my because parents you, were super loving. Right, and, but it's also... Yeah, and, and, and you talk about brotherhood and sisterhood. Do you have a brother and a sister? Yeah. So brotherhood and sisterhood, you have that love within that and don't need that other thing. I was just reading something today that said, and who knows, this is true, but <laughs> children that are raised atheists. Um, I saw that. Where they go, children that are raised atheists, there's a, um, they seem to be more mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know. But who the fuck knows? I mean, that sort of thing. I go. You know. I, I mean, I, I was very. I kind of mirrored my father. I was very anti it until, <clears throat> I guess, sort of. I don't, I don't think it was exactly having kids, but just sort of becoming like in my thirties and sort of realizing, oh, the, the skepticism, and sort of the anger that I was carrying around towards religion. I was like, that's no 
better than what I was sort of accusing people who were very religious of, which was proselytizing and sort of foisting it upon you. I was like, because then when I kind of stopped worrying about it, I kind of realized there were there were friends in my life who did go to church on a regular basis mm -hmm. who never told me about it, mm -hmm. who just lived their lives the way they wanted to. And I was like, that's the best. Holy shit. That's the best. Oh but, the, but, but the idea of not proselytizing it yes. and not making that judgment call. And I think you use the word skepticism. Mm -hmm. I think you, forgive me, but I think you, totally. meant, you mean cynicism. Yeah. Because skepticism says, I question it. Cynicism says, Oh fuck it! What's the point? Yeah, that's where I was. I was yeah. cynical. Yeah, yeah. Because right. I, I feel like cynicism is the death of anything creative. Mm. Because you sit back and you go, "Oh, uh, yeah, well, no, like that's gonna work." Yeah, I had gates closed. I was just like, "No, yep, no." Yeah, you say church. I'm like, dumb. But for me, I feel like the moment you say church, I think about the. I was married for 14 years, and I think about my ex-wife's mother. And the way that she wielded the acts of religion, mm -hmm. and I feel like it fucked up five awesome human beings, yeah. her, her, Katie and her sisters. Yeah. I feel like it fucked them up, and I don't know what their relationship to religion is right now, but every time I was in the middle of it, it seemed to be this maelstrom of, what do you mean you're not going to church? What do you mean you're not going to midnight mass? It's Christmas. You're going to midnight mass. I don't want to go. And to go there, and did you ever live in Chicago? You never lived in Chicago. I never lived. I, I spent a lot of time there. Okay, there's a, there's a church in uh, Bucktown, uh, a neighborhood of Bucktown, and it's this gothic fucking unair conditioned unheated hall of concrete, marble, and doom. Uh, super welcoming. Very fucking super welcoming. And then they have a midnight mass, and it's dark, and they have candles, and they have a plastic Jesus baby that they carry down, down the aisle, and it's packed, and everybody's wearing coats, and it seems, this is what the Ukraine must be like. Oh my god, it sounds you know like a I mean? Wes Craven movie. It's, but it's, Holy it's, god. It's, it's that, and it's also like, oh my god, it's miserable, it's miserable. And I feel like, where's the joy, man? Mm -hmm. This is your, this is the Christ child that's being born, and it's a spiritual center of everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about church, I think about that. Yeah, and yeah. that's that certainly is cynical. But this yeah. thing about the, the guilt shit, just that guilt. I mean, it's you know, it's I think particularly when then it comes into like improv and artistry, like. Guilt, uh, you know, worrying how am I doing? All that stuff that puts you in your head, like holy shit, it's it is the uh, it is poison. It ruins creativity. It ruins connectivity. Being present in the room, you're not present in the room, no, because you're bringing into the room three thousand years of don't do that. Yeah. Well, like I would imagine in your scenario where it's not part of your religion, but it's part of your wife's religion and the family, you're all of a sudden in that room being like, oh God, there's fucking secret rules. Oh God, like she, mom is pissed about things and you're like, then you're worrying about trying to take care of somebody and... And not knowing how to do that. Oh but there's gosh. also, Judaism is the same way. Where uh, when Katie and I, we lived on the west side and uh, there was uh, an apartment building next to the duplex we lived in and there were Orthodox Jews that were living there and they invited us over for something. And I'm like, great, let's go over there. Yeah. And I reach out my hand and to, to shake hands with the woman and it's like, like oh. all, all clocks stopped, yep. birds froze in the air, the clouds stopped moving, and, and lightning struck. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? I said, like, you're not supposed to touch them. I'm like, what? She's a married woman. What? Yeah. What? 
Yeah, I'm not. I would never knowingly break a rule, but what kind of that's that's almost like, dude, you're wearing a shirt. It's Tuesday. You don't wear a shirt on Tuesday. The things like I know. I would. How are you ever supposed to divine that rule just out of the fucking ether? That's. I mean, it's not a cuckoo rule, but it's cuckoo to think you would know what that rule right. is. Right, and I think that what that does is it keeps you in, it insul it keeps it insular. It insulates mm -hmm. you. You then go other, other. The other isn't allowed here because the other doesn't know our rules. Yeah. They're going to come in here and they're going to make it uncomfortable for us because we have been uh, inculcated into this particular thing. It's like, oh my god, uh, uh, no. We I was in Chicago city limits in New York. And there was a... Where do I know you from? Originally, we met from Quick Wits. You were, uh, <coughs> a, you producer. were a producer on Quick Wits, and you took the best care of us. It was really, really great. Who was your partner? Uh, I was in a sketch group called the Burt Furshners. Yes. So it was, it was a show where it was the four of us. We were two teams on Who that show. It got was, it. It was the third season... With uh, Robin was the host. Yeah, but who was in the group with you? Me and Mike Rock were one group, and then Mark Hervey and Josh Lewis were the other Got group. Got it. And we Got were the first taping day of that third season. We were the same day with Wayne Brady and Corey Rouse. Right. Like, it was a really fun day. It was a really fun day. I um, remember that. Yeah, and you, I just remember because we were in this sketch group, and we met doing improv, and so we, I think we talked to you first on the phone and stuff like that, and then when we, were, when we came out here to do it, you really were like the shepherd that kind of like walked us through everything. Yeah, I feel like we have to protect each other. We have to take care of each other. Oh yeah. Really well, particularly the structure of that show was, I mean, like it's it looks like improv, but we don't want it to be improv because we want it to succeed. But then they then they did the disclaimer where just you know they've seen the rules beforehand. So yep. I was like, as, as an audience member, what is that show? But it's also, but isn't that what? Uh, whose line does any as well? Yeah, but they've, I feel, seen, they've seen all that too. But I, yeah, I, I think for whose line is just a little different in that, like they'll do the same, not the same improv, but they'll get Shakespeare three in a row, right? And they are improvising, right? And the, I mean, the other hook of it, of course, is that they do shows on the road. Like those guys know each other. Like I don't know any other improvisers that know each other that well, right. For that long of a period of time, right? Um, but let's go back to sorry. Gotham City Limits in New oh, York. Oh, yeah, so... In New York. Chicago City Limits. So I'm we, sorry, Chicago City Limits. So they sent us out, which which was like started by, I guess, Second City people who moved to New York. So it was a Second City-style show where mm -hmm. we sketches and improv. So it was a road show. We got sent to some... It was an Orthodox te temple or something. It was like a, we're performing and entertaining. And the way... I don't know how Second City would work. The way it, was, it worked for us was we were given the set list we the, the performers within the company we didn't get to decide what was going on in particular night so we would show up and there'd be a printed out document saying you guys are going to start with this and then you're gonna do a musical comedy da, da, da. got it got it which is the running order yeah yeah so we start doing it and all of a sudden like i think we started doing a musical and that orthodox stuff came in where it was like women can't sing and we're there were women in our company and so all of a sudden, everything we had, we had a thing where it's moving bodies, where we want people from the audience to come up, and we're like, we can't touch. And so the running order we had for, I think it was supposed to be a two-hour show, turned into a 30-minute, holy shit, what do we do? So we took an intermission at about 45 minutes. And, you know, had that crazy backstage fear, not furious in terms of angry, but just the energy. The fury. The yeah. Just yeah. people like, da, 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 da. and so we basically, you know, improvised a, a makeshift 
hour and 15 minute second act, so we fulfill the contract. But I mean, holy shit. Uh, you know, I, 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 you're comedy sports, right? Yeah, that was how I started. Um, I don't, I, I do it, I've done it, I don't do it. Um, and I don't do it because I don't understand how it works. And yeah. Because there is there is a set of guidelines with comedy sports and theater sports right. that we do the show and this is the structure of the show mm-hmm. and this is what you do and it's a different kind of improv as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and that so in that way it is also it's like Judaism, but the Judaism that I do now mm-hmm. is closer to the Herald, right. if you will. Yeah, I mean even not even that because I don't even do a structure. I don't do three three scenes a game, three scenes right. a game, three scenes. I do something that's more along the lines of the spiritual life that I lead, which is uh, Catholic with a, which is not Catholic with a small c, which is just just doing it. Yeah, free will. Let's see how it goes. Exactly. And let's follow it. Yeah. Right. 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 And I think what ends up happening, and it happened with me too. I think just in terms of religion, is when you're raised religious, you. This is what could happen mm-hmm. when you're raised religious. There's a, there's a set of tenets that you do, and then you start questioning those tenets as you get older, and you shed that which you don't need. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work for you, if you can, you surrender that. You surrender what you don't need, and you hold on to what it is that you need, and then you make it your own thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I feel like I mean I'm assuming it's like any creative thing, which is at the beginning when you're a student, you learn the rules, and then when you get to a certain point, you start going. Well, what if I color outside the lines? You start figuring out, oh, I can break the rules as long as I remember why that's a rule. Like as long as I, and then you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And then that kind of falls apart. And then you go like, I'm going to return back to the rules. And I feel like that's just part of a creative life. But I don't know that you return back to the rules. I think that what you do is you revisit the rules with your... With with your philosophy that you presently have in this moment. Right. You look at those things and you go... Oh, okay. I forgot about that basic tenant, or mm-hmm. I forgot about that um, that game, or whatever that's going to be. And now I'm going to take who it is that I am and look at it with different eyes, a different perspective over right. time. Which is so great about you being a teacher. I feel like when I started teaching, that made for me that made me the that makes anybody the best improviser they can be because on a daily basis you're like. Eye contact, just whatever things. And boy, when you walk on that stage that night, if you don't remember those things, like you're you're on autopilot. Yep, yep. I also love breaking. It's exactly what you're talking about, breaking the rules. Like for me, I get I teach so much that I look at things and I hear my my I I, I don't do this so much anymore because I, I've 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 evolved from this. But I would hear myself saying question and like don't ask a question and then stop and go wait 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 wait. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not ask a question? Mm-hmm. Why? What is it about a question in an improv scene that fucks it up? And right. because in real life we ask questions. Yeah. How do we make it so that we can ask a question mm-hmm. and forward the action of the scene and not go down a rabbit hole of answering the question? Right. Because really, when it comes to a question in an improv scene, there's no. When it comes to a question in an improv scene, or when it comes to a question in a play, those aren't questions. They're text. Yeah. It's not a question. It's yeah. dialogue. Yeah, it's showing a care. As long as the question isn't, how come we're in this room? The, but it can be that question. If it's, that's the context of these people, like they're magically locked in a room. But here's the thing. Don't answer the question. So when you say, how come we're locked in this room? I'm like, just trust me on this, Bill. Yeah, that's great. You know, like at that moment, how come we're locked in this room? Because this is where the secret formula is. Oh, for fuck's sake, we're about to go. 
you know, I'm going, really? We're going to do this? Yeah, now you're telling a story. Not, fuck, right? Yeah, like, now you're Because when you ask a question of me, I'm not going to answer the question. What I'm going to think is, how can I take this personally? Yeah. And when you say, how come we're locked in this room? I'm like, don't doubt me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I, I always interpret questions as, if I'm asking it or someone's asking of me, I go, they don't believe me. Like, it's a character move. It's it, like, there's something going on there, or they don't, they're scared. They're the low status. I'm the high status. Like there's there's a clue about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you feel that in the in the uh, because you're uh, because of the show is uh, basically aimed at your show is aimed at what age group? Um, well, it, apparently kids watch TV up. So the the younger kids on our show are ten eleven. So those appeal to kids who are around that like six to ten range there are teenagers on the show and those appeal to kids who are like ten like ten to like just hitting teens. And my experience is I don't get recognized a lot, but when I do, it's like that just teenager, that 10, 11, 12. So I think that is the core audience of our show. The how people you, watching the teenagers. How do you the fact that you're on a kid's show, mm -hmm. it's very satisfying. The fact that you're on a show, yeah. it's very satisfying. Work is great. Yes. Work is great. The fact, and your show's been running for... Uh, we just finished shooting the second season. We're waiting for the third. Great. Waiting for the third means you're waiting for the okay for the third. Yes. Great. So, in that way, you, 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 you've done a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And in... But looking through the IMDb, I see... You've written, you've done cinematography, you've done, you've right. been a cinematographer, you've been right. DP, right? Yeah, I've you're shot stuff, editor, I've produced stuff, yeah. You know, um, all because I wanted to be an actor. That is it, right? Yeah. And I would say for anybody who's wondering about that, that is absolutely, that is, in the, in the age we live in, this digital YouTube, I, I am not necessarily a good editor, I'm a competent editor. And I know, and it made me a way better actor. The first time I had to shoot so I was inv I'm involved with this thing called Channel 101. Yeah, yeah, love it. Oh, it's so much fun. You've done it before. No, I've never, I don't know. Maybe I, I think have. I saw you in Maybe something. I have. I think I have. I, I think it's been shown. Something I've done has been shown. Oh. Uh, so you went, well, it's, it's, it's Dan Harmon and, and Rob Schraub. Yeah. Right. And um, they started it, and basically they started it because. Do, wait, wait, wait. When you say it, Channel 101. It, which is? Channel 101 is a, uh, it's a website. And it is also a live show. The premise, it is uh, five-minute shorts that are treated like uh, TV pilots. Each uh, each uh, month, there's a live screening in Hollywood. And I would say about... Is it in Hollywood? Yeah. it's, oh, in, it's in Hollywood. Yeah, it's here. Um, where in Hollywood? Uh, where is it right now? Right it used now? to be... Right oh, no, I'm wrong. Now it's, it's at the downtown, downtown Independent. It's yeah. that, right, that's because it used to be on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, first it was right. at Toy... Uh, on Vine right. for a few months and then it was yeah uh, next to I.O. right? yeah then upstairs. it was uh, upstairs above uh, at Sin Space yes it was there for the longest time yeah and now it's at the Downtown Independent right um, which is a a, 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 a newspaper it's right? a it's a movie theater I mean oh, it's, it a, is. it's a movie theater but they also do live shows there but it, the it. main the main thing and it's sort of like a cool like if they have like craft beers and popcorn fucking and A man and it's a big theater it's nice um, the premise is you make a, you and I are like, let's do a superhero show. Uh -huh. So we make a five minute superhero short. Which is what you did. Exactly. So, and then it screens. And if you get enough votes from the live audience, just in that one night, everybody gets a ballot with the name of all 12 shows. Top five shows are considered picked up. 
So your so that one that the first one you made is now episode one. Come back next month with episode two, and as long as you get those votes, you keep making that show. And that all came about because Rob and Dan uh, were, you know, new people in Hollywood, creative. You know, you're frustrated. Why the fuck aren't I working? Um, right. So fuck it, Dan. The whole reason that whole thing started was because Dan bought a new computer. And on his computer was a file called, or a little folder called Sound Files. And there were like eight generic, and this is, you know, back in like the 90s. So like one, one sound file was like, sound editing just got easier and easier. Another was a music cue. It was literally just, hey, you might want to do something with some sound files, but you don't have any. Here's eight. So he just kind of listened <laughs> to him and laughed to himself and said, I'm making a movie that incorporates all of these. Just gave himself an assignment for no other reason than just because. Got a digital camera, did it, called Rob and me and a couple friends and said, hey, we're watching a movie tonight. We'd get together. That's what we do all the time is watch movies. So you, 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 you were at the, the genesis of... I, yeah, I was not... Uh, uh, Rob and Dan made it. I was, I was, I you was were just witness there. to it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and so we went over to Dan's house and he's got a big grin on his face. He presses play and it's like a three-minute thing with just him, like... He, he basically lip-synced to all the sound things that had a dialogue in it. And when music came on, he would turn into a music video. And literally, you're just watching your friend act like an idiot. And there's nothing funnier. Nope. You're, you're fucking delighted by that. <laughs> so, But because he sort of came up with that, we were like, we are making movies. Right. That's what we do now. Right. We've been watching shitty videos for mm-hmm. months and mm-hmm. months. Now we're making movies. And that became Channel 101. I, I got to tell you, what you said, like, you want to be an actor, so you, you do all these other things beneath it. You know, not, not beneath it. You do these other things for foundational. Yeah, yeah. Foundational, so you can have something that is yours that you can stand on. Yeah. Because if you're going to count on somebody else to do that, that might happen. It might happen. It could. It's not going to not happen. But don't you want to take charge of what it is that you're doing? So when, so for me, I feel like I, I don't, I don't do a lot of. Uh, if, if I'm going to do a movie or a television show or something like that, I'm usually invited to do it, which right. is great. If I'm going to do a short, I'm going to be invited to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not going to do it. You want to do it? I will do it. Right. I'm not auditioning. Right. But I'm traveling around now. The traveling around that I'm doing. I do it. That's mine. I do it. I'm not counting on anybody else to do it. Mm-hmm. I woke up the other day and I said, I want to go to Israel. Oh, cool. So I said, I'm going to look at some Facebook pages for people, in improv groups in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem, and I'm going to reach out to them. And now oh, I cool. am... Are you going? I, I, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. Oh, I think amazing. I'm going to go. But it's that thing, Chris, where you go, I, I am going... I'm... No one else is going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And if you want to say to yourself, again, we go back to cynicism or skepticism. If you want to say... Because I could be skeptical and go, mm, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to try. Instead it's, of saying, mm, Israel, who the fuck do I know in Israel? Because you know who I know in Israel? No one. Yeah, not yet. Right. Not yet. There's a million reasons not to do stuff. It's too hard. I don't have a camera. I don't have, I don't know how to run a microphone. But man, you fucking learn pretty fast when you, the first time I made something by myself, shot it, edited it. Uh, it was a video. It was one of the. It was like a precursor to Channel 101. It was like Creep Show. Everybody's going to make their own Creep Show. Uh-huh. I came up with this idea. I was really proud of it. 
shot it. I edited it all night at Rob's house because he had the computer and I didn't. And I was like, I can't get this thing shorter than 20 minutes. And Rob, and I stayed up all night and showed it to him. And I just saw on his face him watching it going, oh, fuck. I was like, this is not good. I thought this was great. It is not good. And he looks at me and goes like, this has to be like less than 10 minutes. So again, I went through it with what I thought was a critical eye and said, I cut it down to as best I could. And then I screened in front of the audience and it was fucking crickets. It was humiliating is way too strong of a word. But it, there's that, that personal mortification you have as an artist going, I really thought this was great. I thought this was something special. And the audience just very clearly, like not booing, but not laughing, not responding. Just that booing silence. is a reaction. Mm-hmm. Indifference is devastating. That quiet. I mean, you know, especially with comedy, that quiet can be... But oh, here's the thing, though. It's what you do with it. Yes. It's what you do with that that which just happened. Mm -hmm. So there were crickets. Now you look at it and you go, they're silent. This that I thought was great is not being perceived as great. Now, that just happened. Mm -hmm. You get to be... In, you get to be in relationship to that which just happened. Are you going to say, I suck? Or mm -hmm. are you going to say, how do I look at what I just did and use that as a lesson? Gotta what keep is going. it? Yeah. Right. You have to, you can't, it, it's again, really easy to go, I'm never doing that again. Right. Because it does hurt. That's yes. A, it's a real thing. Yes. But if you, as much as you're capable of in that moment, being present in the room is like, not just going, oh God, they're not laughing, going like, why are they, why is it quiet? Like, right. oh, this one scene is seven minutes long. The other ones that are getting a response were, the whole thing was four minutes long, and in that four minutes, there was a, a 10 second scene, and then there was a scene that went less for a minute. And like, oh, it clipped along. Right. It's not that you suck. Yeah. It's that you're not doing it right. Boring. Right. It's boring. So to say that it's boring, you then get to say, why is it boring? Yeah. What is it that makes it boring? Because that in itself, you you are being taught in that moment what you need to do. Mm. And if you want to go, I suck, that blows, that's not, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to go, that sucked. I know why. Yeah. And knowing why, that's the hard part. I feel like that, and that is the learning curve in this business for the rest of our lives is, you know, like if, if people figured it out, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese would have a hit every time. But you, you figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It, and here's another thing. It could be hard or you could look at it and say, this is exciting. That, that was awful. That was fucking awful. All that time that I put into that. Mm-hmm. And while I'm in the middle of it, and you know what it's like, while you're in the middle of it, <laughs> you're experiencing it, oh, yeah. you're going, oh man, they're not doing anything. Oh, yeah. And so for me, when that happens, this is where I am now in my life. When that happens, I'm going, this is crazy. They're not <laughs> fucking reacting at all. This is fucking crazy. Oh my God. I Look at me. I thought it was going to be something else, but now it's this. Yeah, this is what wow. it is. This is what it is. Yeah. And not to go, this is crazy. Um... God, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed. I want to hide. Oh, that's it. When so when you said humiliating, yeah. I'm going. That's an option that you can do with anything. Mm -hmm. It's it's for me. What the way it works now is if something doesn't get the response, it immediately kind of clicks the engine of I can't wait to try this again. I can't wait to figure it out. Like okay, that didn't work. I want to acknowledge that pain and go ahead and just be a human being and be upset about it or or whatever. Process it and then. 
tomorrow morning or whatever the next day, whenever it's time to get back to work to go, okay, here's why I think that didn't work, but I want to get right back in and do it again. That's, that's how you get better. And that's how you, I mean, that's you living your life. Yeah. Because the life isn't the product, it's the process. Yeah, it's doing it. It's doing it. It's in the middle of doing it. It's not having it done because you're never done. Mm-hmm. It's you doing it. So I wake up every morning. This morning I got up and uh, I think I went to bed around 2.30. You went to bed at 2.30 last night. I went to night. bed at 2.30 last night and I woke up this morning and I was, I was thinking, um, I got a bunch of stuff I want to do today mm-hmm. that have to do with me. Mm-hmm. That have to do with me wanting to go to London because uh, I got an email from somebody in London. Cool. So London and Germany, and I'm going to London, Germany, Dublin this year. I'm going to New Zealand. I'm going to Australia. I'm going Ooh. to Hawaii once, Hawaii twice, and then but these are all for teaching gigs. These are all teaching gigs Gosh. and performing gigs. But it's that thing where I go. I wake up in the morning. And go. What is in my life right now that I have done that I have to do? Mm-hmm. A, fr- a friend of mine is a stand-up, um, and does very well and a few years ago was in the same place you were where he was creating through Facebook he created Facebook groups and basically said hey if I came to your town let's say Atlanta how many people here on Facebook would come see me and you know as long as he got I think I'm like 200 he'd book a venue and he'd come and do it and like again this was really when Facebook and stuff was really exploding and now he is, you know, he doesn't have to travel nearly as much. Right. But that created this huge thing of people knowing they were going to come to his show. Right. But it's him having the chutzpah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's real. call it what it is. It's not chutzpah. It's having the confidence yeah. to say, I'm going to throw this out. And if you want to see me as somebody who thinks so highly of himself that he can do that and, and, and looks down upon that, that's your choice. But i got to tell you, man. I think that I could do this. Mm-hmm. I think that I could do this. It's great. Well, I'm sure for you, because then you get not just you not just having the experience of teaching, but you're teaching all these different kinds of people who have this that, that didn't even realize they had this uh, fellowship among them of like, oh, we all love improvising. What a cool experience that is to get to either teach people or just experience that. Right. There's a group in Tucson that I just saw. There's a Facebook page. There's a Facebook group. And uh, it's called the Rosowski Forum. And they're doing what I teach. What? And it's, and it's like, what? Right. And I go, what is this? Look at what you guys, what is this? What's happening here? Are there pictures of you with them, but you've no, never it's been just, there? No, it's just them, and it cool. says the Rosowski Forum. And I'm like, what? 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 So, you, so you look at that and you go, you don't, you, one has no idea the, one has no idea the inspiration that one is giving the universe. How amazing is that? It really, really is amazing. And I, and I, and I, and I, I, I seriously weep uh, joys, uh, tears of joy about it. Of course. Where I think, I have done nothing but keep following that. So when things fuck up, or perceptively, mm-hmm. you can think of them as fucking up, when they fuck up, I, uh, I go, oh, oh, I, I can't wait to do that again. Mm-hmm. And that's the Chicago style of, of acting, is you will do a show... And it will get panned. Yeah. And someone will go, you go, what would you think? And they go, it was horrible. And then they'll say, what's your next show? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, I think it's, it's the attitude you described of being present enough while it's happening, instead of choosing the shame reaction to be, to be present, to be able to be like, oh, my God, I re- wow. Because <laughs> then, you, instead of running out of the room as soon as it's over, you could actually stand at the bar and go, 
man, that did not go how I thought it would exactly. at all. And, and then, then people, the dialogue. Right, and then people go, people don't have to go, oh, they're shame. You get to, you get to do a preemptive smile. A mm. preemptive smile. I'm going to smile before you frown. I'm going to look you in the eye and smile before you look away and go, oh my God, that poor son of a bitch, he's got fucking egg all over his face. Mm. I'm going to smile and we're going to go, wasn't that horrible? Yeah. My friend Ruthie Rugnick, I remember watching her at Improv Olympic in Chicago, and she was in a Herald, and the Herald was tanking. It was fucking tanking. And you look at all these people, and they got the, uh, what Deer would call improvisers on stage look, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that look in their face, it's, it's awful. And Ruthie was smiling. And Ruthie's smile said to me, I know that you know mm-hmm. how bad this is. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know that I know how bad this is. And she didn't let her take it out of it. That's the joy of it. Because, you know, especially with improv, it can flip back. It can flip back. Right. And for Right. It can flip back. And, and if you say, again, if you're cynical about it and you go, well, this is going bad. I can't wait to get off stage. You've ended the scene already. And mm-hmm. here's the thing, baby. You're in the middle of the fucking scene. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go, oh, I'm sitting here, the audience didn't like what I'm doing, yeah. and you're going, I'm done, Edit. you're ending your scene before your, your scene being your life, before you even finish. You could see, as an audience member, you could watch a Herald that up through minute 20 is just fucking shit. And then all of a sudden, in the last three minutes, some awareness, something filters it around, you would get a fucking standing ovation because people would talk about that show forever going, it was a fucking it was a dead dog on stage and then in the last two minutes it was transcendent absolutely but everybody on stage has to have the same point of view which is we're going to get out we're we're going to connect Mm -hmm. we're going to connect it's not that we're going to get out of this because getting out of this takes you away from it we're going to connect right now and i'm going to look at you and you're going to look at me and we're just going to be here because right now how many of us on this stage are not here right now because we're sitting in the audience judging us yeah in our brain we're in the house mm-hmm. looking at us on stage mm-hmm. but we're not yeah. we're on stage yeah. so anytime that we want we get to pull it out yeah well i mean it's such an old improv thing but you know that like if you're ta- if you're thinking about how bad the show is you're not in the show yes you're or not, if you- you're not listening you're missing that cue that somebody somebody's trying to do a callback and you are just not there Somebody said, oh, it'd be great if the doctor showed up and you're leaning against the wall going, how can I, can I go out the exit? Can I just, can I, is there a way I could just, my mom is here. I have to, oh God, I'm supposed to have dinner with mom after the show. Like, right. oh no. Right, right. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And even if you, here's another thing. If you're in the middle of a scene and you think you know where the scene is going, you're not there anymore either. Because already at, you're at the end of the scene or you're prescribing the scene, prescribing the scene that isn't happening. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I'm doing uh, Armando. You've done the Armando, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing Armando on Saturday. Fun. And it's really, really fun. And my uh, girlfriend's parents are going to be there. It's the first time I'm going to meet them. And, and they're going to see you in the show. They're going to see me be the Armando in the show. Will, will you meet them before the show? Yes, we'll meet them okay. before the show. Probably have dinner. Okay. Um, they're Fox News. The dad is a former federal judge. Fox News watching family. Got it. And I... Don't know if you know this. <laughs> I know. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I listen to the podcast. I know what's going on. So you go, oh, this is going to be, I can look at that and go, this is going to be a train wreck. Or I can look at this and go, I don't know anybody like that. 
Yeah. I get to talk to somebody like that. Mm -hmm. I can talk to somebody like that who is the parent of this woman that I love dearly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I feel like for me, that's how I, because I, I had, I used to date somebody who was in a similar situation and I always just sort of came at him as he raised the woman that I love. So whatever he thinks about abortion, he did something right because he made her and I like her. And like, and sometimes like we just wouldn't talk about that other shit. Isn't it funny? Yeah. That you don't, you go, I'm not going to talk about that other shit. And then that goes back to what we were talking about earlier of having a governor upon your creative process. Because when I meet somebody, I want to know what their voice is. Yeah. And if they think, oh, that's Dave Rosaski, or if they think, oh, that's that Jew, or if they think that's that guy. <laughs> I hope they, they think, don't think that's well, that Jew. But the thing is that if they look at it in that way, if they put any kind of governor on it, we're not going to have a conversation. Yeah. You're going to stop yourself from going down a particular uh, inspired path mm -hmm. because you have a preconceived idea. Yeah, that's what I, my mom is. I love it when my mom comes to visit because she likes to talk with anybody. Um, and not like a bug you on the airplane kind of way, but she's just like if I take her to a friend's house with me for the first time, She's like an interviewer. She just she wants to know about their life. She's interested in their opinions on things, and it. I feel like I'm I'm lucky in the moments when I'm present in my own life to go. I'm doing what mom does. It's it, it's somehow filtered filtered its way into my brain of like being interested in people and again improv listening like a motherfucker because people tell you if you're really communicating with them, people will tell you shit they won't tell anybody else because you're. You're showing them empathy. You're showing them uh, that their opinion matters. Like this thing with this potential uh, dad. Like he might respect the shit out of you just because he knows we're, you could be so contrary, but you're letting him say his shit. Right. Oh my God. That's huge. That's in there. Okay. That was great. Thank you. Thanks, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.